What is up, everybody? How are we doing? Welcome to another installment of the What's Up Jay podcast. This is your host, Jay, and thank you all so much for tuning in today for what is a pretty cool episode. This time around, I have my older brother, James Mullen, join me for a conversation about his musical journey. Now, for those of you who don't know, James is the lead singer and rhythm guitarist for the alternative rock band Seas Atlantis, based out of Glens Falls, New York. His first real opportunity to create music was back in his high school days as the lead singer of a group called Last Minute. When they disbanded, he decided to pick up the acoustic guitar and start teaching himself how to play the songs that were in his head. He has released a number of songs on music streaming services, including an EP titled The Acoustic EP, as well as an eight-song album titled The Acoustic Sessions. His band, Seas Atlantis, is penned in to perform at this year's Gem Festival, which will take place at the Shirt Factory in Glens Falls. Check out the episode description down below and follow the links to learn more about the festival and how you can secure tickets for yourself. Now, I had a blast discussing music with the older bro for this episode of the pod, but be sure to listen all the way through so you can get to everyone's favorite segment, Gut Reaction, where James and myself discuss Marvel's Netflix shows, including Daredevil and Jessica Jones. And we also answer the question, who will go down as the most important player in New York Mets history? Will it be David Wright or Jacob deGrom? So if you are ready to go, let's see what's up with James. James, thank you so much for sitting down with me uh, in studio for yeah. the uh, What's Up Jay podcast. You're my first in-studio guest. I've had, you know, people in person, but I've gone to their spot. This is the What's Up Jay studio here. Uh, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Good to be first in studio. You know, I got my own uh, my own offices right across the hallway. Um to make it sound like it's fancy and not like it's a living situation, um, <laughs> you know, make it sound professional. We're sitting here at MX3 headquarters. Those who are in the know know what that means. And uh, I don't have to go on any more detail than that. Listen, our uh, our relationship is strictly business. If you know, you know, but we'll get into it. Um, James and I are brothers. Uh, James is my older brother uh, and he is an aspiring musician. Um, we're going to get into his uh, musical journey, back to his, you know, what made him want to pursue music and through his high school band days up through right now in 2021. But first, James, how's life? You know, what's been going on with you? Um, you know, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you know, life's been great. I, uh, I'm i living in Queensbury, New York right now. I'm just happy to have made it through the pandemic and relatively one piece, you know. Um, I'm living with my girlfriend at the moment and with you and with our parents, you know, congregate setting kind of, um, more of a full house vibe than a failure to launch vibe, I'd say, um, personally, or maybe that's just to make myself feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am a 27 year old musician living with my parents. So, you know, it's basically a, it's basically a trope. Well, I mean, listen, man, I mean, there, as someone who lives with their parents, there's not a problem living with your parents. Okay. I mean, that might be a very biased view. Hey, um, yeah. But, you know, I love I love the environment we have here. I love the uh, rapport that we have built as uh, not just family and not just brothers, but as, uh, 
housemates, you know, living yeah, in a shared definitely, space. Definitely. Definitely seems like there's a good amount of respect between everybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all respect each other's privacy in here, you know, in the uh, the Mullen basement, uh, MX3 headquarters, as you uh, so eloquently eloquently put it earlier. Um, but uh, what do you got going on right now? Like, uh, what's, uh, you know, job well, looking like, music looking like, everything yeah, else? Yeah, you know, job, I, um, I was actually fortunate enough about a few months before the pandemic started, really, um, getting into TV data working for um, Nielsen, one of their um, subsidiary companies here in Queensbury, where I basically just kind of, you know, I handle TV data. I, I'm basically a middleman in between TV stations and the TV guide you'll see on your television. I enter those schedules and barring any setbacks and miscommunications, they reflect the proper programming and it's open and shut. I specifically work with sports data, which is, you know, if you know me, you know, sports, music and comic comics and sci-fi are like my passions, my three passions in life. Um, and yeah, it's been really great to work with the people I've worked with. I got to keep my job and go completely virtual uh, at the start of everything, which has been great. I've loved working from home. We're going to move back to a hybrid model. We'll see what the new world brings. It's it's a brave new world out there. Yeah, absolutely it is. And um, I'm sure you're not afraid to share, but I know everyone in our house has received a COVID vaccination. Um, That's right. Get your shots, people. Get your shots. Keep them flowing. You um, know, like... Get, get those shots, really. It's the right thing to do. It absolutely is. I mean, as the ads say, you know, what's a few days of uh, feeling sick going to stop you from uh, getting back to a sense of normalcy, you know, especially around here where we, it seems like we have an influx of vaccines, you know, especially in... Yeah, I mean, we're lucky enough in New York, especially. I mean, we haven't, um, knock on wood, you know... Um, it seems like, especially in Warren County, where we're at, it's been sort of pretty far removed, mostly. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky enough, and it's not lost on me how lucky I am that my life changed very little during the pandemic, and maybe maybe even changed more in positive ways than negative ways, which I'm very thankful for. Um, I don't take that lightly, um, and I don't think from like a privileged perspective like it's been a good thing for people, but I know that for me personally, I've been very fortunate. And I like to be grateful for that and name it. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the things that I've always said, you know, you got to you got to take the little W's when you can and try and put more uh, stock in those for when the big L's kind of come. It doesn't seem as a uh, as much of a big deal, you know. Um, but let's take a dive here into uh, your music journey. James, uh, first of all, how old are you? I am 27 years old. 27 years old. And how long would you say you've been uh you know, obviously listening to music much longer than you've been learning the guitar and playing music and writing songs. But when was the, when would you say was the first time you remember being like, I want to pursue songwriting. I want to pursue music. Oh, a long time ago. I mean, I remember being like in the back of the classroom in like third grade telling people, all right, we're a rock band. This is what we're going to do. Like you play guitar and we like, what, what do you want to play? Like talking, it was all like pretend at the time, but like, it was always part of the role play. I used to get, I had a toy guitar. I used to pretend I was performing at the Grammys, you know? Um, I, uh, it's just always something I've wanted to do, to do. I mean, going back, I talk about sports and music and comics and stuff being my passions. And that really does go all the way back to childhood. Like those have been, as long as I could remember, I either wanted to be an athlete or a musician. 
And lucky for me, both of those jobs are very highly paid and common. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely if the most. Can, uh, if anybody isn't watching, which I know you're not because this is a audio only podcast right now. That was very heavily laced with sarcasm. I mean, listen, man, I know plenty of uh, well-off musicians and well-off athletes that I grew up with. I mean, I don't even know what uh, you're uh, you know, talking about. Um, yeah, they're falling off trees around here. Yeah, exactly. Making loads of money. You did reference our childhood. Growing up, you or I couldn't go through a day without our mother bringing up or playing songs from the band U2. Um, would you say that your earliest music memory is of U2, like listening to U2, or what do you think is like your earliest memory it's of probably, music? It probably is U2. Um, the two bands, the earliest bands I remember myself getting into, and this is really probably unusual for people our age, but I've always really been into the rock. I was always into classic rock, even like as a kid. I always loved it, probably because our parents loved it, but it stuck with me. And the bands that I remember being really into at a really young age, before even I can understand all of the themes, was obviously U2 and Pink Floyd was the other huge one. And they've both kind of stuck with me to this day. Maybe Pink Floyd more so than U2 in terms of influences, but still a big U2 fan. You know, we went to see them together. Um, I always listen to their stuff when it drops. I'm, I'm still a big fan of lots of songs. My, my band currently performs a couple of U2 songs and they go over quite well, so... It's yeah, and uh, we did, as you mentioned, see you two together at Madison Square Garden. Um, and that was that was a fantastic show. First yeah, time I was ever excellent. ever able to see Bono and the group live. Um, and it was a really cool yeah, experience. And, I'm know, sure you, you can two share will get that. Their share of hate for you know whatever political stances and for Bono being Bono and his reputation. But if you have a chance to see them live, I would recommend that they put on a great show. I absolutely agree. Now. Also, going back to our childhood, I remember in our old home in Middle Village, Queens, New York, you had, I think it was like a beginner's drum set um, in the bedroom. Yeah, um, that first act drum set. Yeah, yeah, first act coming in drums clutch. Were, I, drums were a brief flir- flirtation for me before I realized I was absolutely incapable of limb independence. Well, I was going to um, say, you, you know, I sit here and I look at you now as singer-songwriter, a singer-songwriting guitar player. Um, did you ever dream of being a drummer? Was that your, was that the first instrument you were like, this is, this is my gateway into music? Because for me, it was always the, uh, no. uh you know, so six strings for some, I don't even really remember how the drum fascination came about because for me, it, originally it was guitar singing. I just always remember feeling like I was good at it or at least like I could do it because I remember like. Just like I had fun singing in school concerts and like things like that. And I always tried to go for solos and that like I wound up as I got older, not staying with choir or concert chorus or anything like that, because I wasn't interested in performing that style of music. And like in some ways, it sort of helped me back in my music education because I don't really know much about music at all Mm -hmm. from an educated standpoint. The drums was a brief flirtation. It was always it was originally guitar and some singing. I don't remember why I even wanted the drum set. I think I just thought it would be pretty cool. Um, I got into a drum phase. And I, I mean, I know plenty of talented percussionists and hats off to them because it baffles me. It's, I, have hard enough, I have a hard enough time strumming a guitar and sing, singing in a different rhythm. So I give mad respect. Well, I mean, you have guys like, you know, Josh Morris who not only plays the drums, but he sings too. And he also writes songs on the guitar. I've seen him jam. Massive hats off. Very. Josh is a really talented guy and hasty page are a great local band. 
um, even more. I mean, there there are a bunch of educated dudes who know who know music and it shows in their stuff for sure. Now, really quick, uh, before I go into uh, your first band or your first group when you were in high school, you do have a Spotify playlist of all local musicians, right. just well, like New York yes, based New music, York state musicians. Yeah. So, and if you're listening to this and you're in a band that's got something on Spotify, and you're not on this playlist, link me. And I will put you on this playlist. Um, part of the charm of it right now, which ultimately doesn't need to stay this way, but most, I'd say 95% of the people on that playlist I've actually met in person. Um, a smaller percentage, slightly, I've performed with, whether it's at a show, at an open mic, or what have you. And every time you know, I follow everybody who I meet on Spotify, I will add their stuff to that playlist and every time they release something new I'll add it to that playlist and right now I think it's at about 35 hours and change of just New York State music from pop to rock to there's a rap on there's a rapper on there as well that I met living in Syracuse for a couple of years um and it spans from you know all the way up to like have hard rock new metal kind of stuff and then you have my singer songwriter style stuff is on there as well I think it's a really good range and it really shows you just how flexible local music can be and how good it can be because I could put that playlist on in the car and you would just think I was playing a playlist of regular music you hadn't heard because, you know, no one thinks that there's much, there's this much quality just sitting in their backyard, you it's, know, but, but it's right there and it's the same as supporting any other local business. Absolutely. I mean, you think about it, I mean, you can go around and I mean, this is a perfect anecdote right here. Um, this was a Rochester-based band, but we saw them in Stowe, Vermont. Um, we went to Stowe Cider just to get some drinks with some of her friends and ended up being there was, you know, live, you know, music that night. And it's just incredible to see this band who, I, I don't remember if it was last week or a few weeks ago, they opened up for Pigeons playing ping pong. Um, and you name. just get to, yeah, they're a great jam <laughs> band. Um, and you just get to see them by chance at a friggin' you know brewery because you went out to get some drinks on a you know friday night it was awesome and like you said it's you don't really think about that much you know talent and that much good music being in you well, know the state of new york and especially the way music is changing in general we're really moving more i mean like i'm no expert so you should speak to someone who's in the industry to like confirm this stuff but it really seems like the way music is going not like it's impossible to make like very good money doing it but it's almost like the trend is toward people who are self who are indie managed independently managed whether they're on a small label or they're independent they're putting out lots of releases and trying to get maximize their streaming output people are learning the game and over the last handful of years it's been changing from a cd and label heavy business to where that's whereas that stuff still matters the benefits that it can give you are not quite as much as the as the are not quite as much more as what you can do on your own now as it used to be. There's a lot more at your disposal now. I mean, people don't realize, I don't think, a lot of the time how easy it can be once you've once you've gotten something recorded and set up, which can be easier said than done. It's quite simple to dis to distribute it. I think it's a lot easier than people might give it credit for. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now we're going to go into your music journey, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but started with your days in last minute in uh, high school, correct? Well, yeah. Officially making my own music for the first time was definitely with Last Minute, um, originally called Sick Fiction. I used to write 
lyrics, but it was more like poetry. I didn't really have anything to set it to. There were, I had sets of lyrics. I knew I wanted to be in a band. I knew a guitar player who also wanted to be in a band, and we were trying to start a band. And we knew another guitar player who was already in a band, but we wanted him to join our band. And he was like, well, my band has a, two guitarists and drums. We don't have bass or vocals. So my friend who was the guitar player, Luke, who is actually a, currently a guitarist in my band now, he picked up the bass, jumped on the bass. I jumped on vocals for them, and that was that. We performed. We filled in for them at a talent show, and then we just kind of decided to stay a band afterwards. And that lasted two-plus years. Not exactly two, a little bit over. From junior, my junior year of high school through my freshman year of college, we were last minute. And that was a lot of fun, man. I mean, not to go on and on about it like a run-on, but we... It was my first experience collaborating with anybody and even making music. And to be to be honest, tell you the truth, at the time it was probably um, heavier and harder rock than what I was typically into. Um, but it definitely it broadened my musical palette in ways that were really important. And that's not the only thing that's done that that's done that for me over the years, from performing to friendships of exchanging music and giving new genres a chance to get in there and influence me. Um, it was a great experience. We were basically a garage band. You know, we practiced in the drummer's garage. We played rock music. We played gigs every couple of months, probably a lot more than most bands our age played. We had a, we were lucky enough to come up in a great time for the local music scene, too, where it's kind of coming back now where there's lots of great local talent. But for a while, it seemed like there was only a couple of good, big local bands putting on shows. And I don't know. I'm glad to see it coming back so strong with festivals and lots of good local talent. Um... It's really something great to see. New York State overall, and especially the 518, has a great, has such a robust and flexible music scene. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we'll get into, you know, the modern day scene and where you're at in the Glens Falls 518 scene a little bit later on. But as you referenced, you were in the group with uh, Luke Borgalt, Cody Platt, and Anthony Valenti. Um, and you guys were able to record a four-song. Allen. Joe Allen as well. Yes, yes. I you can't believe I blanked on that, but he was the other second yes. guitarist, obviously. Yes, he was. He was he and they were Luke Anthony and Joe, all great guitar players in their own right. Um all with their own distinct style. Luke unfortunately didn't get as much of a chance to shine in that band. He was on bass for a long time. He wrote a couple of songs on guitar for us. Um toward the end we actually had our friend Matt Ringer also join us on the bass and he pushed Luke to the guitar because Luke wanted to play guitar. Um, we ended up going with three guitars, so, uh, which might have been a little excessive, <laughs> but we were just trying to make it work. Uh, to be honest, that was towards the end of the band. Things were starting to get stressful. We, it's not. We definitely didn't end things on bad terms or anything like that. But you know, when things are ending, there's always reasons why. So it was definitely towards the end where that was probably one of the things we did to try to try to keep things going. Right. And it just ended up not working the way we wanted it to in the end. Well, you guys, um, you know, before the end of your time, obviously, you were able to record a four-song EP. Yep, that is true. Um, that, is, um, that is available on SoundCloud somewhere if you did search last minute. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, actually, what account it's affiliated with. It's not under that name. I would have to check back on that, and maybe we could link it. Oh, we'll be know. able to link it in the uh, episode description well, here. It's definitely out there on SoundCloud somewhere. It's... um. 
it's good for what it is. We still play, actually. I, I still have, I still play a couple of, one or two of those songs every so often. Um, and if you would have told me now at 27 that I'd be playing songs I made when I was 17, I don't know if I would have believed that. That's something. That's definitely something. I'm very, I'm proud of 17-year-old me to be able to write something that I don't think is completely dumb 10 years later. <laughs> what was that? Because <laughs> um, sometimes I think my own songs are completely dumb immediately. <laughs> Was that, um, you know, getting into the studio and, you know, recording that four song EP, was that your first time in a studio of any kind recording music? Yep, it was. It now, was. now, you know, take me through that process. What was going on? What was the process like? You yeah, know, so it wasn't it wasn't a big professional studio or anything like that. It was in town. Our drummers drum instructor actually had this home studio and he cut us a deal. It might have even been free. Which explains the um, original shoddy quality of it. It was not really mastered. Um, it's mastered now in its current form. That's on up on SoundCloud, which is I believe Anthony remastered and re-released them on SoundCloud. I just don't remember what his account is, <laughs> so to say it. But you know, it was a great experience. I ended up going late. I had to work early in the day. We weren't all in the studio at the same time, which is an interesting experience to record. Which is that's how recording is done. But it's interesting to do it for the first time. You know, you're used to going through these songs in a practice setting or at a show. Everybody's around you. You're in the live flow. Um, when you're in the studio, it's just you with the track. And, um, yeah, it's an interesting experience, that's for sure. Uh, um, I can't say that I was nervous or anything about it. But definitely a great experience. I definitely... I remember coming up with something in the booth on the spot over a spot of a song that didn't previously have words and thinking like that was cool. <laughs> like, the, you know, your uh, first like, freestyle verse that makes it onto uh, the track. Yeah, probably. I don't tend to do that much. Yeah. Usually, usually if I'm freestyling, it's not something I'm intending to keep. It's just like to grab a melody so that I get the melody in my head, mm -hmm. which is usually one of the most important parts of at least writing lyrics for me is ha having that melody already in there. Because, I don't know, I used to write words and then fit them to the music. But I find it easier to write music and fit words in from a writing lyrics perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, personally. As you said, you almost never do the freestyle thing. What I made, say I almost never do it, but I almost never keep it. Right. What made you, you know, instinctively do that? And what made you guys decide to keep it on the track? I don't really know. I mean, they just didn't know any better I think they, <laughs> at the time I wrote the lyrics and did the words and no one else really asked any questions about the words of the songs they probably didn't realize it wasn't there before because I always said something live during this part of the song like it was like an interlude or I would always do something I, at the time I don't know I was experimenting with who I was on stage and all of that nonsense and stuff like that but um I definitely yeah they um it turned out good it, it rhymed it made sense within the song and we rolled with it so definitely cool to just come up with something and have it stick. Now, what was the experience like of, as you said, mastering those tracks and re-releasing it on SoundCloud back in 2019, I believe it was. Um, I think. Was that, a, was that a decision that you guys, as a band, like everyone kind of reached out and was uh, like, we should re-release these? Or was no. it one person? No, I think Tone just, that's what we called Anthony. <laughs> it's it's a long, he didn't particularly like that nickname, which is probably <laughs> why it stuck. Um. But yeah, I think he just basically like did it in his free time or as maybe as a project while he was studying audio at school. He studied, he he makes some electronic music now and he's a producer 
um, which is an interesting musical journey. If you know Anthony and his music taste, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. Um, he's, he's quite good at it too. So it's kind of funny, but, um, in any event, he remastered the tracks and I think he might've just put them out there and then been like, check these out. I, I remade them. They sound pretty good. Now I cleaned them up. And that was basically it. We shared it around a little and I was pretty proud. I think the biggest takeaway was, man, this was, these songs were pretty good. Like, you know, we, we were pretty good, which was good. You know, I think like we, we did know the problem with last minute and that we've, that we've been able, at least in conversations with Cody and Luke. And I know that this is kind of how it was for me. We sort of like, we wrote a bunch of songs pretty quick, got kind of good and kind of popular in our school and in our town and we're able to like draw people to shows enough to play once a month and we kind of just sat there and we're okay with it we kind of didn't work any harder we were just like this is good we're good and I think that a part of it was just being teenagers and playing rock star and another part of it was being in high school and you know you have it drilled into your head at least I think this is how it was for me a little bit you're just drilled into your head that like if you're into music or you're into sports or you're into any kind of like arts career, you should have a backup plan because it's incredibly hard to make it. And I don't think that as a group, we ever fully bought into the idea that we would be able to make it from upstate New York, small town to like going on tour and getting a record deal and things. I don't think we ever truly believed it at, at, at age 17. Like I just thought and we all were like getting ready to go to college and had other things we wanted to do. And it's like, it's an awkward sort of decision. It's like, do we stay together and like keep pushing this? We don't really know if it's going to go anywhere. If my other, if my actual career goes somewhere, this has to stop anyway. It was just, you know, there's a lot. And we kind of, as a, as a creative unit grew apart creatively. And so that was that. Um, we played our last show. We set, we set up a farewell show, performed it with a bunch of our friends who were another, and our uh, other local bands who were our friends and who played with us a lot during our run. And it was a night to remember. We sent we we got sent off really well, and I'll always be really grateful for that too. It was a great party. Now you were just alluding to you know the end of last minute. Um, what was going through your mind when that whole process was kind of taking place? Were you worried at all? Like, were you thinking that the days that your days of creating music were either numbered or coming no. to an end? Or no, I knew I wasn't done. I I guess like the next thing was just what's next. I just like. I had friends who were in other bands who I was hanging out with and talking about start like doing other projects and I still didn't play any instruments at this time. I never, I did not learn guitar until 2015. Um, well after I was, I'd been writing music for a while already. And I, what it came down to was I kept trying to like start other bands and join other bands and things just kept not working out. And I got sick of not putting music out there. I think there was about a four year period in between last minute and me picking up guitar myself where I wasn't, I was still writing. I was still interested in music. I, I never didn't consider myself a musical artist, really. You know, I always considered myself an artist who wanted, who was a, who was a musician. It was the way it was going to be. I wrote. It was just something I was always going to do. Eventually, I got sick and tired of waiting around for a band to form around me. I tried to pick up guitar. I was playing power chords. I had a friend of mine, a close friend, be like, sort of like goaded me a little bit and challenged me into stepping my game up. They were like, don't you want to like really learn guitar? And I kind of got pissed. And then I was kind of like, yeah, I will actually. So that was really how it started. And I just, I didn't really, I didn't take lessons. I had tried to learn guitar a couple times and failed. 
So, but I, I was just, something about this time I was just really determined. I was tired of waiting to make music. I wanted to make music for the stuff that I'd been writing. I knew who artists I was listening to that I could just do acoustic guitar and vocals and that, and put out the kind of things I wanted to put out there. And so I looked up songs I wanted to, that I enjoyed. I looked up what the chords were and then I looked up what the, what the chords were, like how to play them. And I learned one. I learned another one. I practiced switching between those two for hours on end, and I just rinsed and repeated until I could play songs. And after I could play some songs, I started rearranging the chords that I knew into other songs. And that's really what, what led me to where I am now, as terms of being a guitar player. I'm no virtuoso by any means, that's for <laughs> sure. Well, as you were just saying, you were working on the solo music, not you know necessarily with the guitar, but you were still writing songs. Um from the end of Last Minute up yeah. until your latest project Cre starting and coming together. Creative writing in general was a passion of mine, which might have kept me sharp. I wrote a lot of poetry and short stories. I took courses at, I was in, I was in junior college at the time, and I, I took a lot of English-oriented and literature-oriented courses. I took a poetry class, and so it was never really like a thing that I stopped doing. I just wasn't performing. I wasn't, I was writing lyrics, and I could hear the songs in my head, and I was just like, ah, hopefully hopefully a band comes along and we can write this song and i just got sick of that like eventually i was like whatever man i'll just do it myself like man if it doesn't take off it doesn't take off but at least i can play right so you got sick of waiting for a band to form around you you started learning guitar on your own you started fully writing songs at that point by yourself with the guitar with the lyrics um but how did you get started with getting solo performances? Like, were you just grinding, trying to go to any and all open mic nights in the area? And how is so, the songwriting process different than with a group? Yeah. So, um, well, the songwriting process and how I went about getting gigs and stuff are kind of two different things. Which would you, do you mind which one I answer first? I mean, Whatever's more the comfortable way I was working you. the circuit, the way I started getting gigs was, I, I work in the circuit. Hilarious. But, um... What I was doing was there was one place that I had always liked, of uh, that had that I knew had open mics. I didn't. I, I wasn't really plugged into the scene for that kind of thing, but I had a friend, my friend Colin, who was an acoustic singer songwriter as well at the time, and he went to the to the open mic night at Rock Hill Bakehouse Cafe, which used to be over on Exchange Street in Glens Falls, and I knew that when I was ready, that was the first place I was going to go because I remember the vibe was just great. You know, it was very accepting. It was very, it was, you know, typical indie coffee shop vibes, you know. And that was what I was all about at the time. Getting up on stage and playing in front of the bookshelf it was great. And I, was, I had been to that open mic a few, a handful of times. And the guy who was running it, his name was Steve Gallucci, um, was, he came up to me and he was like, hey man, do you play out? Because you're good enough to. And... I was like, oh, you know, I don't remember exactly what I said. I was probably stuttering and stammering my way into being like, oh, no, no, you know. But he was like, but he was like, and he was like, we do this live and local thing on Fridays. And if you can play for a couple of hours, we, you could, we can book you. And so that was it. That was, I got my first gig by doing open mics. Um, I played there a handful of times and that was, those were my first shows. And it was great. You know, it was a great feeling. I'm sure I was really nervous the first time I ever did it, but I don't remember it now. I don't really... I do get nervous for performances, but in a way... I don't know. Not in a way that makes me not want to do them or like free, where I freeze up 
like more like an anxiousness to get going. Like I, I need, I want to get started. Once I get into my rhythm, um, that's usually, I usually tend to fall right into it and feel right at home. So do you remember roughly what year it was when you started getting those shows at Rock Hill Bakehouse and the like? Yeah, it had to have been shortly after I started going to the, I don't want to say it was like immediately because I definitely didn't have the material to play it then, Mm -hmm. but it had to have been a few months after the fact. It was definitely under a year I was going there where they booked me. And it was the only place in town at first where I could get a gig, mostly because I didn't really know how, what to do. And it, and it took me a little bit of like, we'll, um, we'll get to this part of the story later on, I'm sure, chronologically speaking. <laughs> Cause it, but eventually, I wasn't quite at the point in my music career where I was like confident enough to truly level up yet and start doing things for myself. Things like always fell into my lap before via connections where I didn't have to work. Not that I didn't have to work hard, but that I already knew somebody mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to start from scratch and like figure out who was, who I had to talk to and who, who to send a message or how to go about, you know, why people should care. Why should I believe in myself enough to go ask for a show or tell them they should hire me to play? You know, I just wanted to do my thing and, I don't know. I wasn't like afraid or nervous, but it was just, I just wasn't reaching out. I wasn't maximizing myself and investing in myself the way I could have been, which, you know, probably is common. Um, but yeah. So you moved to Syracuse, New York. I believe the year was 2017. Is that correct? Or would that have been? I want to say it was 2017. Yeah. Because I believe yeah. you started going for your graduate yeah, degree. Yeah, it was 2017, 2018, and then the end of 2019, I moved home. Right. So from that, you know, from within that, you know, time period, you continued writing while you were out there, creating the music. Um, Actually, I would even tell you that I really became, truly became like a solo artist out there. Um, it's where I really think, feel like I found myself, not so much my music, like I had already had a sound, but I found myself out there as an artist where like, I just kind of decided, I was like, you know, I'm in a new town. I'm good. Nobody knows me. When I was growing up in Queensbury, people didn't really know I did music. Like, unless they saw me at the shows and they were part, they were into that kind of thing. I wasn't like known to be a musician at school I wasn't in choir I didn't the most anybody had heard me sing but unless they came to one of our shows was at you know karaoke at prom where I got a few high fives for doing semi-charmed life really well like but people were like dude you're talented like and they just didn't know um when I was in Syracuse I was like I'm gonna start going to open mics and act like I'm do this for a friggin' living it's it, it worked you know and it really I learned and I put it together and it's between that and between other advice I received. What I did was I decided I wanted to get out there and start playing. And I looked up open mic directories. I found scheduled open mics near me. One of them was at a pub called Giorgio Days. It was pretty close by. It was in on West Fayette Street in Syracuse up on Tip Hill, which if anybody from the CNY area is listening, you know that that's where all the Irish pubs are and where the big St. Paddy's Day parties are up in that neighborhood. Home of the world famous red on red on the bottom traffic light because the Irish in the neighborhood couldn't put British red over Irish green. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a state landmark, I believe. Um, so that's, that, that was, it was an Irish pub. You know, the, if you know me and Jay, you know that we're Irish men. 
So that was an that was a funny thing that I fell in really good with the band who was hosting that. They were they go by the name of Gin Bucket. They actually are on the playlist as well. Pretty jammy band. Um, very talented guys. Uh, Scott Hoban, Mike Rice. Um, can't quite remember the other guys' names right now. I haven't seen them in a long time. But if you look at their Facebook page, they're all right on there. They're great. Um, they made me feel right at home. They they bought into whatever I was selling, and we always had fun. They gave me a, that place gave me a lot of confidence. And then I found I there was an open mic at the movie tavern. Which movie? If you haven't been to a movie tavern or a cine bistro, it's a movie theater where they serve alcohol and food. It's like a rest, like you know, classic dinner in a movie kind of thing. And I was like, oh, they're doing an open mic there. I wonder what that's all about. So I show up, and there's somebody setting it up, and he's got, you know, he looks like a rock and roll guy. You know, when you think about like a stereotypical dude in the industry, he's got the button, the dark button up shirt, and the jewelry, and the sunglasses inside, and the long black hair. And that was a person who ended up being a real mentor to me. His name was Irv Lyons Jr. He was hosting those open mics, and it turned out that they were a songwriter series he was starting to shine a light on local talent because he became like he he was just looking for something to do, I think. But he started doing this. And I was among the artists that came out. A lot of people came out. It started being like, an, sort of like, if you watch like The Voice or American Idol, it was like every week there would be a bunch of people, you would play three songs, you'd enter one of them in, and every week there'd be one, two, or three people selected to move on to the finals, which would be at a date, and you'd play like on the bill, and everyone would play their song for a panel of judges, and the winner would get studio time at Subcat Studios in Syracuse, who actually is a pretty very well-known studio out in that area. Um... They actually have their own independent label as well now that Irv is actually on. And he uh, has a couple albums out. Y'all should check him out. He's on, he's also on the playlist. Uh, bluesy, bluesy type stuff. Blues rock with some Latin and R&B mix in there as well. Um, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. <laughs> but that was, uh, he, he basically like, he was blown away by what, what I was talking about earlier. He would say constantly, he'd be like, you know, I started this and was just blown away by the amount of local talent, like people who were coming out that were not that were legitimately good, like not just like kind of good, like people who should be well known and aren't. And he did this to shine a light on them. And I remember like my first solo gigs out there um, were strings that he had pulled for me. You know, he I, he had me open up for him at Harpoon Eddie's in Sylvan Beach for an entire summer. He put me on. Um, one song for peace, which was a big rally we did in Syracuse, where every artist played a song written or covered a song about the theme was, you know, peace and bringing peace to the world, ending conflict. You know, it was a great thing to be a part of. Um, I wrote my song, If We Could Come Together, specifically for that event. That's also up on Spotify and is on the playlist, I think. Um, I keep plugging the playlist, shameless plug. We'll link that for you. I'm sure. Oh, it'll be linked in the <laughs> episode description down below. Go and check it out, but please. But yeah, that was when, between Irv's advice and between putting myself out there, I learned, like, the cardinal rules of music, or of anything, really, of, like, pursuing your dreams. It's one, take yourself seriously. People will always take you as seriously as you take yourself. If you don't take yourself seriously and you don't think that you belong there, nobody else will. When in doubt, invest in yourself. If, if you have any doubts about whether or not you're there, if you, you got to figure out how to get the better equipment, 
make it happen for yourself. You know, put yourself in the position to succeed. Believe. Don't ever get negative about it. And just put yourself out there because what have you got to lose? You know, the worst that could happen is you end up exactly where you started. Um, rejection is really nothing to be worried about. Um, I've been rejected lots of times. Uh, I've lost way more contests than I've won. In fact, I've never won one. I've made a lot of finals, but I've never won a songwriting contest. Um, I wear the finalists, the finalist thing as a badge of honor because everybody who was on every single one of those shows deserved to win. And I don't envy the judges for having to decide when music is a contest, which I don't believe it ever should be. But that's their decision, not mine. And I'm just, I was just glad to be there. It was a very valuable experience. Those couple of years, I met a lot of great people, people I still talk to to this day and who are professional resources. Well, um, you participated, as you said, in the songwriter series out there. You did Oswego Porch Fest and Summer, summer, uh, you know, Band Jam, which was, you know, back, uh, you know, toward our neck of the woods. Um, but as you also alluded to, you opened up for Irv Lyons Jr. Um, Porch Fest was a lot of fun. Well, what were what were some of the experiences like for you, uh, you know, pursuing music in Syracuse and how does it compare to the scene either prior to the move to Syracuse or even now here in the Glens Falls area? It's hard for me to compare because I was doing different things. It's I will say that it seems to me there is a bigger market for the singer songwriter thing in Syracuse than there is here. But in terms of like the band circuit, it probably is very similar, but I wasn't booking band shows out there. Um, there were a lot of talented bands booking at venues like Funk and Waffles, um, Sharkies in Liverpool is another big one. Um, people would try to get on the state fair every year. It's a big deal. Um, there's New York Blues Fest. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on. It's one of the you know Syracuse is known for sprawling metropolis, but it is one of the top ten cities in New York. <laughs> A, t- a pretty typical mid-American-sized city, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Up there with the Toledo, Ohio's of the world, I would guess. Um, no shade at Toledo. <laughs> we we here at the what uh, the What's Up Jay podcast love Toledo. But Ohio. I'm just you know I'm, there's just probably more of anything to be had the bigger a place is. But it's also then in turn harder to set yourself apart. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I mean I've seen a lot of people at open mics that I just thought. Man, how is this person not huge? And it's every time I go, there's at least one. So no matter where it is. Um, so now we're going to move a little bit forward here. You have released songs under the name uh, James Mullen and the Strangers. Um, you've released an EP titled The Acoustic EP. Um, I believe it's an eight song album. The Acoustic Sessions is also up on the Spotify. Um, and you also. Which, um, that was actually supposed to be the Acoustic LP. But Spotify wouldn't let me put LP in the title. Of course, yeah. Although EP is allowed, so I'm confused. But hey, it was supposed to be like EP into LP, but it still works. It's fine. Thanks, Spotify. <laughs> and then over on Bandcamp, I know this was before you started going with the Strangers as part of your name, but you have uh, the Seven Song Project, songs from another time. Um, looking at your whole body of work, including you know the singles that you've released that are up on Spotify, and I believe they're up on Bandcamp as well. Um, do you have a favorite, um, a favorite song, album, or EP that you would consider as your favorite? Um, like when you look back on it, uh, you feel like you know that's some of your best work. That's a tough question. Um, hmm. some of my best work from like an individual standpoint. <sighs> I 
it's really hard to single out any singular song. I mean, I got to tell you that some of, some of my favorite stuff that I've ever done is what I'm doing right now. Um, and that has is yet to be released, but really digging that. In terms of like the the singer songwriter stuff, my favorite song that I've written. It's like picking a favorite child, man. <laughs> I mean, because I don't want it. I don't know. And also, it's also at the same time, it's like because I have this weird dynamic with my own stuff, right? Where I think that I'm awesome, but I simultaneously think that I suck. So, like, I think all of the songs are great, but I also think they're all terrible in other ways. <laughs> that, I, But that's just me get like, I listen to them, so, you know, I wrote them, I've been, I know everything about them. I mean, I guess... I'll go with, um, I'll go with If We Could Come Together. Because the message is great. The message is just about peace, you know? If we could come together, we could save the world. Um... It's really a simple message, and I was really proud that I was able to write it specifically for an event. I'd never really tried to do that before. It was something that was new. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. But again, I almost want to take it back. It's hard to... It's. I guess the safe answer is there is no favorite. It, it probably is, changes with the day. It is definitely a tough question to answer, because I even know for myself, like... I know I have like my favorite songs that I've written that I enjoy playing, but would I necessarily say it's my best work? Because you can I take could give that you a as... list for days about songs I wish I wrote. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's that's the way of the business, am I right? Yeah. Well, that's not you know the business, the art of it. Um, both. Yeah, it's both. And now this all kind of you know stumbles into the modern day James Mullen project um, that you're a part of, Seas Atlantis, the alternative rock group yeah um you, you could definitely call it alternative rock we get lots of comparisons to genres and i think my favorites are um my favorite comparison we've ever gotten is um that we sounded like russian pearl jam combined because i think that really shows that people perceive us as being pretty flexible you know mm-hmm. and uh you know within seas atlantis you got some familiar faces you got luke borgalt and cody platt both from your last minute days you know luke on the lead guitar cody back on the drums um and you're also alongside bass player mike dardis that's right um so how did this group of, of musicians become seas atlantis yeah well so i basically you know was trying to put together a band to do solo stuff with while i was living in syracuse and i don't know i kind of wanted I think to do some solo stuff at first. I know and eventually it kind of came, we started a project together. I'm not sure if it all grew out of the same place or I don't really remember. We had been playing with Cody. I had known Mike for a while from the last minute days from other bands. He grew up in Glens Falls and was someone we knew from the scene, somebody who I actually also almost started another band with. Or well, I actually, I almost joined a band he was already in, but it didn't work out. Um, and I just, I had always loved the way he played the bass. He plays bass like a lead bassist, um, which I hope if I'm doing my job right as the rhythm guitarist, I'm freeing him up to do more of <laughs> by being, by being part of that rhythmic foundation. Um, I can, I can hopefully, if I'm doing my job, even, even mediocre, mediocrely, then it frees him up to do his thing. And that's all I really want to do. 
is free everybody else in the band up to make make the songs that I've come up with better and make the songs that we've come up with together great, you know. But but the way it all came together, so I keep getting sidetracked on these tangents. Um, we were playing with Cody and Mike. You and um, Melissa and Mel were both a part of that project as well and left for various reasons. You wanted to focus more on other projects. We stayed together as a three-piece under the name Sensitive Scoundrels for a while. Played a couple of shows. Luke was living in living nearby and playing with Cody and had heard recordings of us and was like, I'd like to sit in on that. And he joined the band. We played a few shows as the, as Sensitive Scoundrels. We didn't really write anything new. We had solo songs that I had made acoustic and we kind of breathed new life into them with a full band and like Mike and Luke and Cody have a lot to do with that. Like making those songs something greater than they already were. And in ways that really blew my mind. That really was like, I was like, man, these guys make me into a better musician. Like, in ways I never really even considered. Um, they, may, they make my songs better. And thankfully, now that we're all writing together, they make me a better writer. So, I couldn't be, I couldn't be more thankful. We changed our name from Sensitive Scoundrels to Seize Atlantis over the course of the pandemic. We... We're a little bit lukewarm on the name, Sensitive Scoundrels. We had gotten similar feedback from other people. That it was, a, it was not a bad name, but that's not exactly the impact you're looking when you ask people what they think about your name. Yeah. And we were just tossing names out there. Seas Atlantis came up, and we just really dug it. I don't know, something about, like, the action of it. And, like, I don't know, it sounded dramatic. It sounded like rock and roll, man. It sounded like a band. Um, and we looked it up. We Googled it. There was nothing on there. We looked it up everywhere we could, and we couldn't find anyone, so we decided to take it, and now we're working on getting our first single out so we can claim some artist pages before somebody beats us to the punch and steals our name. Um, and that should hopefully be out soon, maybe by the end of the month. Well, let's look forward to that. But obviously, post-COVID-19 you know, COVID pandemic, you guys, once again, starting book, uh, you know, to book shows, play shows. Um, how's that been for you guys getting back up on that horse as, uh, you know, some might say and start performing back on stage and it's performing really the exciting, music, man, it's felt great. I mean, we took about a seven month layoff too during the pandemic for like precautionary reasons. We, people in the band are exposed to people who are, who have compromised immune systems, you know, um, and we just, you know, for a long time, nobody knew what was going on. It was confusing. Even with the facts that were out there, we were learning new things all the time. And I think that's one thing, no matter what side of the bowl you fall on, Everybody was learning on the fly, and we were all doing the best we could with what we had. You know, and I really do believe that at the end of the day, no matter what side you fall on and what you decided to do, you were doing it because you were, you know, learning as you went. Whether you were doing the right thing or not, everybody thought they were. Nobody does the wrong thing on purpose unless you're a psychopath. Like, no offense to psychopaths. I have a degree in psychology. I could say these things. <laughs> um, but in any event, yeah, we did. We took a long layoff. We got back together. We, you know, we got, we reconvened. We did, we hadn't broken up or gone on hiatus or anything like that. We played a show in September. Things were a little touch and go with the, with, with the, with, uh, the COVID restrictions and everything like that. And we just decided we were going to take time off from performing for a while. And it worked out because places weren't really open as much. And the places that were open had like regular bands who were in there. There wasn't a lot of room for us to reach out and spread our wings. 
And basically, when the pandemic was starting to loosen up on the restrictions again, the Glens Falls Music and Arts Festival was looking for bands to play. We pitched ourselves to them, got in there. Uh, we'll be performing there on August 7th. Through the social media buzz, um, a local promoter f- saw our name. A band that was a mutual acquaintance had to drop off of a show, and the, the promoter said, well, what about this Seas Atlantis band? And he was like, hey, man, get a hold of them. So he did. We've played two shows for him already. We have three more coming up for him. Um, and it's been great to get in, get back out there playing in Saratoga, playing in Albany. We're booked at Gemfest, and we're playing me and Max in Glens Falls as well on Saturday night. Um, that's July 24th. Uh, so if this if this podcast comes out on the 25th, don't go don't go there this Saturday. You, you we won't well do go there, but we won't be there. Um, support local businesses, buy local beer if you drink. Listen, buying local products is always the way to go, you know? Yeah. Support the local business, but support yeah, local artists. It's been great to get back out there and get on the horse. We're really excited with how um, we uh, we were disappointed because we felt like we were building some momentum. We actually had a show canceled because of COVID right when things started. And it was like our, it was, it was on St. Patrick's Day. We, we had two gigs that weekend. We felt like we had momentum going. We were building up some reputation and then seven months, nothing, you know? And we played a wedding, a private event to get back on our feet. And since then, we've been able to get back out there. And the response has been more than we could have ever hoped. I, I feel like we're really um, fortunate. We haven't lost. We've been able to at least, even if we had lost momentum, we've been able to recapture it under our new name. And it's really just because people have believed in us. People have given us a chance. People have let us play. And we've impressed them. And we, we just want to keep trying to do that as much as we can. And the rest will just fall into place. We we play for fun. We, we play to the best of our ability. We play because we love it, and all at the end of the day, playing playing once a week is all we could ask for, you know. And right now we have a gig starting on the twenty fourth for five consecutive weeks after that. So, I mean, everybody's everybody who's a musician dreams about going on tour and making making music as their job, and that is the dream. But, I mean. If I would have told my third grade self standing in the back of the classroom that I made money to play music, I don't think he'd be judging me for what kind of venues I'd be playing. He'd think it was pretty cool. And that's something that I think is pretty cool that I'd be proud of myself now based on who I was then, no matter what level of fame I've achieved, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that feels good. Well, how did the, you know, pandemic impact the group and the creative output? Because obviously, like you just said, you guys took that layoff. How did that impact your creative output? How did it impact? It gave us us time to think, you know, we came up with, we wanted to record an EP about, of songs we wrote truly together because we never, we had all this other originals we had were my songs that we, that, you know, they were different than their original form because they were brought to the band format, but I still wrote them. And everything, it, it was like, that's more like, they were almost like session musicians I hired on my songs, as opposed to the songs we're writing now that are all coming organically together from all of us. It's, it's, the sound is not very different, but it's noticeable. You know, it's more, it's different. And in a good way. We were talking about Seas Atlantis, and we came up with logos, and like, I don't know, I got into the lore, and I was like, let's, you know what, let's do a concept album EP. 
self-titled concept. Oh, why not? Screw it. We're doing this whole rebranding. Let's just let's go all in. We don't have to stay with it. Let's just do it as a thing. And so now we're um, working on the EP. We have three songs so far, and they're um, uh, written using the fall of Atlantis as a literary device. And I'll um, when it drops, you can all listen, and you can decide what it's about and what it's a metaphor for, and you can let me know. I don't want to spoil it for you. <laughs> well, I'm sure... I mean, I know I'm excited for that. I'm sure the listeners are excited for that as well. But another thing that I'm sure you're excited for and the listeners should also be excited for, um, as you alluded to earlier, as I rub my hands together for this one, you guys are penned in to perform at this year's Gem Festival at the Shirt Factory in Glens Falls on Mm -hmm. August 7th. The festival is, you know, slated to begin at 10.30 a.m., according to the latest poster I saw, and end at 10.30 p.m. That's right. Um, I know you're not a promoter for the festival, but, you know, tell me a little bit. Well, you know, and that's another thing I'll tell you right now. Let me stop you right there, because if you are a band on a show, you're promoting that show. That's part of your job. Don't mail it in. Well, then do your... Promoters know. Listen, then do your... it in. Then you got to do your job right now, and tell me a little bit about the festival and what it's all about. First thing I'll tell you is that it's the best lineup of 518 art and music you're going to see all summer. You're going to have live painting. You're going to have art on display from people from Glens Falls, people from all over the 518, people who I know personally who are very talented artists, um, bands I know personally that I love. Um, you know, Joe Mansman and the Midnight Revival Band, Pillowhead. You know, they're basically local institutions. Um, Pillowhead are local legends. Um, so is Joe. And, and uh, he's been in a lot of bands like Cosmonauts, Bright Light Motion. He's been all over. Um, Terralite, good band. Brookline, good band. Um, Grape Juice, great. Uh, Project Racecar. These are all bands we played with. Um, people listening at home may not have heard them, but they're all Saratoga, Albany, Glens Falls. Bands that are coming up. They're playing this Gem Fest. We'll be hitting the stage at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, playing for about 35 minutes. You can. We'll be hanging around. And yeah, you know, it's going to be $12 at the gate to get into the to get into the courtyard for the music, but everything else, you can still come down for free. Even if you don't want to pay for a ticket, maybe bum around the outside of the fences. You'll still hear the music, but you know, you're going to want to buy that ticket and get nice and close. Well, as long as you're vaccinated. Well, listen, of course you want to get as close as you can to the action, but how excited are you and the other members of Seas Atlantis to have this opportunity to perform at Gem Fest this year. We're stoked. I mean, you know, ever since, it's funny because I had been talking, when I, when I was at Rock Hill working those open mics, I was talking to a friend, Jordan, who was in a band at the time named Painted on Faces. And... It's a great name. Yeah, they, it, this was really fun. To get off another tangent, this is my friend who played drums on a suitcase. They played acoustic shows and he used a suitcase to play drums on. It was really interesting. Anyway... We had talked about, like, doing a local festival. We were going to try to do it in Lake George. But we never actually tried to do any of it. We just, like, talked about it a lot. Then I hear about Gemfest. And it's, you know, all the big local acts are playing it. And it's at a bunch of venues on Glens Falls, on, you know, Glen Street and Glens Falls. And every year, I believe this is the fifth annual, obviously with the hiatus last year, it just seems to get more and more momentum. And it's really become, I think, one of the trademark events of Glens Falls for the summer. And hopefully it can continue to grow the grow as that and really be a destination for people looking for local music and arts and independent music and arts. Because if you're not supporting a local art scene, 
music, artists, authors, even comedians. Uh, in Syracuse, less so around here, but in Syracuse, I actually in inadvertently walked into a, co a comedy-only open mic once. And they were some of the greatest people in the world. They were hilarious. They let me play my music. They made jokes. I made a couple jokes while I was up there to try and make them feel comfortable. Um, the guy who introduced me was a really funny comedian, and he was like, yeah, we love having musicians around because we love having actual, actual talented people here. <laughs> and, you know, proceeding to roast the entire room. Of um, course, as you would as a uh, stand-up comic. Right, yeah. right, it was great. Um, but yeah, it, you know, any chance you can to support local arts, do it. Because they're as good as anything else you're going to spend money on. If, if you're putting up art in your apartment, don't go to Target. Message an artist. It's worth the money you're going to pay for it. It's going to seem expensive, but you're getting the print from the person's hand that it came from. And you can't... You know, you're supporting somebody's life directly. I'm not tr I'm not going to take down, like, big box stores here on your podcast and stuff like that. That's, you know, whatever. We can go to soapbox well. all we want to. But there's just... There's nothing like supporting somebody where your support tangibly matters to them. You know? I don't know. That's my piece. <laughs> and you get the chance to do that at GemFest and be a part of something really great, a community, building a community. It's more than an experience of watching a show and buying a painting. It's building a community, feeling like you're a part of something. Because you are. We are. We're all a part of something. We're all a part of the greater things that are happening. Well, that was a great sales pitch right there, James. And uh, I'm sure... I know I'll be there. I'm sure people that are listening right now are going to be doing everything that they can to get tickets to GemFest. How can they get tickets so to GemFest? So you can get tickets to GemFest by getting a hold of any of the bands that are on the flyer for in-person physical tickets. You can also go to eventbrite.com, search Glens Falls Music and Arts Fest 2021, GemFest 2021. I'm sure it'll come up. Otherwise, you can go to the event page on Facebook and find the link right there. You can follow me on Instagram at mullinallover. That link, there's an, there's underscores, Mullen underscore all underscore over. The link is in my bio. You can buy tickets there for $12 a pop. Get them while you can because max capacity is 350 people. So a 12-hour festival, who knows? First come, first serve, baby. Bands have pre-sale tickets. You're going to want to get in on this. You don't want to show up at the gate and get turned away, do you? I know you don't. James, as I'm sure you're aware, because I'm sure you've religiously listened to the What's Up J podcast for the first three episodes, we have a recurring segment on our show called Gut Reaction, where I lay out five scenarios, five questions, and you give me your gut reaction to them. You ready? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready right. to go. We got number one here. I know that you and anyone who knows you really knows you are a huge, you know, not just a Marvel fanatic, you're, you know, like a comic book fan, but this is going to be a Marvel question. Um, My specialty? Especially when it comes to the Netflix shows, you know, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Iron Fist, The Punisher, Luke Cage. I almost said Luke Gage. Not the, no. <laughs> and The Defenders. Now, I've heard you praise all these shows, but how would you rank them from worst to best right. in your opinion? Okay. So, worst to best. Uh, let me get this out there. I'm going to say, I'm going to leave with Iron Fist gets too much hate, but it's still the worst. <laughs> it is the worst. Great way to uh, set bad. it up. It gets its. It's not without its controversy. I would say personally, it's unwarranted, but overall, 
it is warranted because it's accurate to the comics, but the comics are problematic, but the comics are dated. So that's the way that is. I mean, we're getting Song-Chi. They're fixing it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, so Iron Fist at the bottom, unfortunately. Um, are we just doing the, the Netflix Defenders verse right here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just so we're going those five, I believe, or are six including shows. the Defenders miniseries. If you want to we'll add it, that. if not. We'll add it in. It's part of the thing. Um, so Iron Fist is down there. I will put... Mm. I will put the Defenders miniseries next. All right. I, I do think it's good. A lot of people underrate it, in my opinion. It, you know, it is what it is. If you're expecting perfection, I don't know, you're not going to get that out of it. It's not. It might have underachieved the mark a little, but I, I still find it enjoyable. It's a great crossover. I'm a huge Charlie Cox fan. I'm a huge Kristen Ritter. I, you know, I like all of the casts. Even even Finn Jones as, as Danny Rand, much maligned role. But I, I do think, given what he got to work with, he does do it well. I don't think it's a mark on him. I think the character was written in a way people didn't really receive well, and it reflected poorly on him, in a way that I don't really feel is fair. Mm. Um, but. It is what it is. They should have got somebody who actually knew how to fight, and people would have hated him less. But it was just that's just the way it is. So there, that's that. Um, then we'll go. I'm gonna put the Punisher next. Um, a lot of people probably will be surprised that I put Luke Cage ahead of the Punisher. People were really underwhelmed by like the second season of Luke Cage. Um, I don't tend to agree with that. I found it very compelling. I think Luke Cage is actually my second favorite, which makes me put Jessica Jones third, which people think it's the best. And I just think that the, you know what I'm putting number one. You know that I'm putting Daredevil at number one because Daredevil is the best. Daredevil's better than any of the Disney Plus shows. I'll say it. I don't care if people are going to hate me for it. The Disney Plus shows have done a lot more for world building and they're more important. And they're all great. They're all great. Don't get me wrong. But to say, if you're going to sit here and say that the, th the three seasons of Daredevil aren't great Marvel television, you're just wrong. You're just empirically incorrect. It's just not true. It's just wrong. It, they get so many things about the character so blatantly right. And it really was, for Marvel TV, what Iron Man was for the MCU. It was their avenue into, we can make this work. Like, and I don't know, it's just, maybe it's because it's on Netflix. It's just, it's got the right tone of grittiness to it. It's just my kind of superhero story. So you got Daredevil first, then Jessica Jones, then Luke, Luke Cage. Second. Luke Cage and Jessica Luke Jones. Luke Cage fourth. second, Jessica Jones third, excuse me. Then The Punisher, then the miniseries of The Defenders, and then Iron Fist at six. Yep, and people may think The Punisher should be higher up. If we were talking about, I don't know, it's hard to rank them. The Punisher is just repetitive. There's not, Frank Castle is a good character. He's a very, like, depth, there's a lot of depth there, but in terms of the action, it's pretty one dimensional. There's not a whole lot you can do with a guy who's a one-man army that's very unique. After after you get through 13 episodes, how many more ways can you have him blow shit up? That's a fair point. Uh, sticking with Marvel here for question number two. Uh, best portrayal of Spider-Man, Peter Parker, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, or Tom Holland? So the best, the best portrayal of Peter Parker is Tobey Maguire. It's, well, are you asking me Peter Parker specifically? I'm asking you for both of them. Oh, for both of them? So first... The best, well, the best blend is Tom Holland. Because, you know, he's really got the balance of being in the suit and being out of the suit down pat. 
I think, though, as his character finds his stride, he's becoming less and less like the Peter Parker people know and love. He's less and less of a nerd the more confident he becomes as a hero. But that does run kind of with the way his character always has run. He's not always timid. It's just the way people commonly perceive him. So, you know, I think Tom is a great choice for Spider-Man. I've liked all the Spider-Men. I think Andrew Garfield was a little bit too cool as Peter Parker, but for the story they were telling, it worked. Would you agree with my assessment now that you had already said that the best Peter Parker is Tobey Maguire? Would you say that the best Peter Parker is Tobey Maguire? Because this has always been my take. Um, you know, Peter Parker, the best one is Tobey. The best Spider-Man behind the mask is Andrew Garfield, but the best at both, which you've already answered, and I agree with, is the more recent one in Tom Holland. Now, would you I would, agree with that? I would that? agree. Um, I think Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield are really close in costume. Tom Holland's really, really good at the wisecracking. Um, you see it mostly in Civil War, um, where he, he really is good at it in his scenes with Falcon and Winter Soldier. His introduction into the, into yeah, the modern that, MCU. that scene just nails it. You can't get a more perfect character introduction, I, I don't think. So, And the MCU has just hit that on the head every time. Every time they put in it put a character i mean in the same movie you have t'challa coming for the first time too as the black panther what a double whammy to have those two characters come in the way they did and rest in peace chadwick boseman what a tragedy it's such a shame it really I, is i mean just not even just for black panther just in general it's just horrible it's horrible horrible tragedy that befell him and his loved ones and even beyond movies you know one of the, the best things, actors of our generation for sure from a selfish standpoint man who what a perfect casting what a great casting that was, and he just brought something to that role that was just great. And I think Tom does the same thing for Spider-Man. But, I mean, we all know, no matter what everybody says about him and the hair, that people are going to go crazy if Tobey Maguire steps out of a wormhole in Far From Home. It would be No Way Home, no way home. Far From Home was a excuse Jake me. Gyllenhaal's debut Sorry, in the MCU. they haven't the trailer in so long. I'm forgetting the title. <laughs> Watch, by the time this episode comes out, the trailer's going to be out. That's going to be Every an outdated remark. Every about how the trailer's coming. It's like the dragons at the end of Game of Thrones. They're coming. <laughs> Don't worry, they'll be here soon. Question number three for the gut reaction segment. James, you and I are both huge Mets fans, but there can only be one. Who do you think will go down as the more important player in Mets history, David Wright or Jacob deGrom? David Wright. Really? Yeah. Yeah. David Wright's more important to the franchise than Jacob deGrom is. I mean... Because you got to look at... My, and here's why. Like, deGrom... If deGrom was elsewhere, it, it would be embarrassing they let him go. But they would have something to hold on to. They'd still be a good team without him. They'd still be... I mean... When Wright was in the like after the two thousand like in the lean times like and from twenty ten to like to twenty fifteen when they made the World Series when they finally got good again, that was those were some lean times, man. David Wright really got us through those times, especially David Wright in that one season of R. A. Dickey. I mean, if it wasn't for David Wright, we would have had nobody. We would have had nothing to be happy about for years. For me, the only reason that Degrom. I think more broadly will end up be going down as 
broadly thought of as a more important player in Mets history, especially if he stays his whole career, or at least a majority of it. Um, with the trajectory what it is now, I think he wins a Cy Young this year if he stays healthy and pitches more games. I think he could definitely win MVP think, if he does. I think he's the most likely to be the next, right now, Right, he's the most likely to be the Mets' next Hall of Famer. And David Wright but, never won an MVP. Unfortunately, you know, when he was you're about, about to about hit his prime, he got injured. You're talking about importance here. Right, but... You know. I'm ba- and importance is more layered than performance. No, I agree, but I think that with how good DeGrom is more than likely going to be and remain for years to come. Oh, no, don't get me wrong, dude. I love DeGrom. I think I like to, you know, this is my comics nerddom coming out, but I, I call him the last son of Krypton because, you know, his nickname, the, the Sunshine Superman. He, he doesn't lose during the day. He's powered by the sun. Kal-El, baby. Absolutely. He's Absolutely. Kryptonian. I mean, it's a working theory, by the way. If you're listening to this, I think Jacob Degrom is from Krypton. Listen, David Wright is one of my favorite players of all time. I read, you know, the captain. And just to be so, no, not to cut you off. To the, what makes it so important to the franchise for me to be so loyal to an ownership group that didn't deserve it and that didn't appreciate you. Yeah, that's properly. True. And you know, the Wilpons are an embarrassment, and. I don't really it's care. It's a mild way Sue to put me, it. Fred. Hey, listen. He won't. You know, Mets fans have gone through a lot, but I think uh, worse. I think that the history up to this point has been all right, and it's going to get better because we got guys like Degrom and uh, Jonathan VR on the team. Uh, Jonathan VR. Going on to question four here. You and I again, both professional wrestling marks. Um. You can only watch one era of professional wrestling for the rest of your life. So like Attitude Era, you know, like Monday Night Wars, the PG Era, Ruthless Aggression Era, Bruno San Martino Era, like the modern era, which I would consider right now, which would be slightly after the PG Era, but like kind of blends in. You got to pick one. Which era are you choosing and why? man. Well, because the gut, you know, I loved the NWO so much that that I want to say the Monday Night Wars era, but I really think looking back on it, most of it really wasn't good. Like, so I don't think that I would really choose that era. But all my, but, this is going to be in, like controversial from a, from a perspective of people probably don't think this era is as good as I remember it being. And I don't think it's as good as I remember it being. But I think I would go with the Ruthless Aggression era. Because it's the one that I'm the most nostalgic for. And it's weird because I'm not a WWE fan, per se. And that's the time where they dominated the business most unquestionably. Um, Besides, like, the PG era, which is right before this era, I would say. Um, But, you know, a lot of my favorite wrestlers of all time, or at least of my lifetime, that I had the chance to watch a lot were doing their best work for the WWE at that time. You know, you look at the Eddie Guerrero's of the world... The uh, Chris Benoit's of the world, unfortunately, given the tragedy that happened with him, he was one of my favorite wrestlers as a as a kid before that happened. Rey Mysterio, um, I was an original John Cena mark, going back to WrestleMania twenty. Um, beat him Big Show for the U.S. strap. Yeah, I mean JBL is one of my favorite heels. Kurt Angle. It doesn't get much better. The big gold belt on Monday Night Raw. Love it. Love that. Love that era. 
I a would lot of good, say a lot of good stuff. More good stuff than it gets credit for. A lot I of also, bad stuff too, but I also would say the ruthless aggression era, and I'm tempted to also say the Monday Night War era, like the Attitude era, because well, here's the thing: I wasn't like alive during it. If and I can stop the Monday Night War era, like at a certain point, I would pick it. But I don't want all the baggage that comes with picking it with like the with the bull crap they were doing with the women back then. Like that, that stuff, I mean, I know this is going to take a lot of flack from male fans of wrestling, but the stuff they were doing with women back then, uh, like even into like pretty recently, it kept me not into women wrestling for a long time because I just thought it was a waste of time to watch on television. And it took me a long time of watching current women's wrestling and like seeing people I thought were really good, like more than once to like bring me around to the fact that, oh, this isn't just a joke anymore. They're actually doing something cool with this where these people are legitimate athletes and they're fighting and they're not just doing stupid comedy stuff to make the king yell about puppies. I hated that. Well, how, hated it. how excited are you for the all women's show that the NWA is going to be running? Pretty thrilled. I mean, anybody who knows, and most people don't, <laughs> but anybody who knows that I'm a big wrestling fan and talks to me about wrestling knows that I um, watch the NWA religiously right now. Um, might be, it might be surprising to people who are fans of the business. They probably don't give it much of a second thought um, unless they're like grandfathered into it from people who are like, Hey, this is the classic NWA returned. And you know, I would say that if you're a wrestling fan, you should check it out. You, you'll get stuff out of it. I won't say it's perfect. I won't say it's like even an eight out of 10, but for what you'd expect to get out of it, it delivers every time. And it very rarely will leave you feeling like you wasted your time watching it, which is really good. You know, you have a couple of good laughs. That's really what more could you want out of an hour long show? I completely agree with you. Now that's gonna get us into our final gut reaction question here, James. I'm going to ask you to list off your four, your top four musical inspirations, or uh, you know, inspirations, or yeah. you know, people that you aspire to be potentially people that that make you want to make music. People that inspire me people that I like model myself after like when I'm thinking about like how I want to perform I watch the tape or like I listen to their songs to think about like to, I don't know like artists that write the most songs that I wish I wrote I'll hit you with an obvious one first and say Bob Dylan the classic um Bob Dylan's a huge influence on me that's one uh Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes, Desaparecidos, his own solo music, a big influence on me. Um, going to see him, well, see Bright Eyes. I've already seen him once in Cooperstown as a solo act. And I'm going to see Bright Eyes on July 31st at Forest Hill Stadium in Queens, which will be a lot of fun. I'm excited. They broke up. I thought they were never going to get back together. I'm excited to get to see them. Um, Father John Misty, Josh Tillman. Um, him and Connor, I think, are two of the best singer-songwriters in the business right now. Um, if you're looking for people who just write great lyrics and make good, great songs, they're pretty different in style, but I think they're the two best doing it right now in terms of like telling a story through song and being able to do it with just you and the guitar. Then there's the fourth... Who's my next biggest influence in writing? You got Bob Dylan, Connor Oberst, Josh, Josh Tillman, Tillman, Father John Misty fame. Let's see who would be the next one. I guess I'd have to go with Jeff Tweedy. I was going to say I'm shocked he hasn't been named yet. Um, 
I'd have to go with Jeff Tweedy of Wilco. There are other people too that I take, like for my solo stuff, and it's more of an indie singer songwritery sound. I've also, you know, I've drawn from Ben Gibbard of uh, Death Cab for Cutie. Um, I've drawn from John Prine, from Jackson Brown, from Johnny Cash, from you know, if there's oh another one is the tallest man on earth. Um, check him out. He's not really the tallest man on earth. It's just his name. Well, I mean, Maybe he, he is. I don't know. Yeah, Carl I was Guinness. going to say, you won't know that until you get a look at it. I've never met him but... in person. Yeah, I think he's from Denmark or Norway, somewhere over there. But yeah, those are some of my biggest influences. Th- those four in order, and then the other ones I named as well. I'm also really lately into uh, Julian Baker and Lucy Dacus, who both put out new records recently. They're both fantastic. You should check them out. I mean, I could sit, like I said earlier, I could sit here all day and just wax poetic about artists you should watch, you should listen to, and that I wish that I was like them. Well, I, well, I was going to say the list of your top four musical inspirations slowly turned into that, along with James Mullen's music uh, recommendations uh, oh, for yeah. the general public. But, James, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule here to sit down with me on the What's Up J podcast. There's only one more thing for me to do, and it's to let you have the floor floor if i could speak plug your plugs plug the pluggables what do you what do you what do you have going on anything going on with seas atlanta's coming yeah, up lay know, it all first on of me all, i just discovered recently and it might not be this way for much longer so we'll see what happens but type in seas atlantis on google that's s-e-i-z-e atlantis and i'm pretty sure we will come up and you can click on that link and like us on facebook and that's how you could follow along with all of our content we have shows coming up. We got five scheduled, but more on the way. We've got an EP coming out. We've got a single coming up. We're trying to do all that stuff, you know. Um, we're playing on July 24th at Mean Max. We're playing July 30th at Polly's Hotel in Albany. We're playing August 7th at Gemfest. After that, we've got a couple more coming up that we will be announcing on social media as more details emerge. With along with other things in the works, you know, I'm still doing my solo thing here and there. I don't really have any shows lined up for that or anything being written and released. But you can follow me at James Mullen. Um, it's at Mullen underscore all underscore over on Instagram. Uh, you can go to Mullen dot Bandcamp dot com. Uh, you can search James Mullen and the Strangers on Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube and all that good stuff. Uh, I think I've just about covered it for now. Um, like I said, Google sees Atlantis. You can look us up on Facebook and on Instagram, just at sees Atlantis. Yeah, I think that just about covers it. Well, listen, uh, I highly suggest that you all follow the directions of my older brother there and go follow sees Atlantis wherever you can follow him. If you can get to a show, get to a show. Um, and especially if you can get to Gemfest to not only see sees Atlantis, but the other, uh, you know, performing acts and the artists that are going to be there. It's going to be a fantastic time. Uh, James, once again, thank you so much for sitting on my couch here and uh, talking with me. It's been a great time, and uh, hopefully we can do it again. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. I'll come back anytime. 